Welcome to Series 4 of the Behind Closed Doors podcast series. Hello, I am Donnie Walford, the Founder and Managing Director of Behind Closed Doors. In today's episode, we are speaking with Kelly Jamison. Kelly is Founder and Managing Director of multiple award-winning business, Edible Blooms Global. Kelly, in my opinion, has mastered work-life balance, working effectively from her office and her farm, running an international business that expanded into the UK and New Zealand, and she employs over 100 team members. So Kelly, this is the best start to any podcast I've done, I can tell you, because you're looking pretty glamorous in your gaming headphones. My 11-year-old son's headphones, so it's amazing how creative we can be as women, I think. (laughs) You look amazing. (laughs) Often described as generous, hardworking, successful, fun, and you are so generous with your time and advice to business women in particular. We are so thrilled to have you as our guest on our podcast series today. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be part of it. So I love everything about BCD, so it's great to be on the podcast. You're just an amazing woman and we're going to hopefully over the next 20 or so minutes get some really good tips and tricks that has been one of the attributes, I guess, to your tremendous success. So starting with innovation, to me, it's essential to be successful in business. So please tell our listeners what innovation means to you and your business? That's a great question because I think innovation is integral to success, whether you're in the public sector, private sector, or you're running your own show. For me, innovation is really closely linked with creativity. So I think it's actually that classic of looking outside of the box, you know, looking outside of the traditional square and looking for solutions. Because I think when we do look outside and we look for creative solutions to any problem that we're presented with, and that's as simple as the headset issue we had this morning (laughs) where I don't have my nice headset that I have in the office because I'm working from home. I have adopted my son's gaming headset for today so that we can chat. So there's a minor (laughs) example of creative thinking. But I do think that I guess I always approach problems because I think no matter what stage of business we're at, what stage of our personal lives they're at, we're always going to be posed with challenges and problems. And so I just approach it saying there's a solution to every problem. And I guess that's where innovation kicks in. And you're very good at bringing your team around you for problem solving. I've often been to your business and you've got a team of people around your boardroom and they all scatter but you must bring them together and and not just rely on yourself and even your sister a major partner in your business but you always seem to be relying on that close team of yours yeah I think it's really important to bring your team along the journey with you and look we don't have a huge team but as we've grown the team's got bigger and I think with that one of the things that we've done is really looked in a considered way about what does our meeting schedule look like in our business? Because we don't want to have too many meetings because we did get to a stage in our business where we felt like we were meetings all the time and we weren't productive and we weren't getting the work done. So we really did step back. And I think that's the thing that helps you to be innovative is not being on the hamster wheel and keep doing what you're doing. You have to take moments where you step back and you take a helicopter view of things and you say, how can we do it better? Because you can always do things better than the way you're doing them, no matter what. So in that case, we step back and said, what does our meeting cycle look like? Why do we need meetings in our business? Because you look at the cost of people sitting around a table, it's quite a cost. So we do the same with our communication. So we have a regular communication cycle through the business And that's been something that's been really important to us as we grow as a business because we need to make sure our team know what is happening at all times. 
because then that way if they're making decisions and we want our team to be empowered to make decisions, they know the context they're making them in so they can hopefully help them make the right decisions. I remember working in government, Kelly, and and we used to have a meeting to decide whether we needed to have a meeting. I have to say (laughs) I struggle with paralysis with analysis. So. Actually, when I had my first child and I was on quasi-maternity leave, I decided to join a local government group in my local community to try and help with economic development and move things along. I found that the most shell-shocking experience I've ever had in my entire (laughs) life. And I kept attending these meetings and I just felt like nothing was happening and I just couldn't. I couldn't handle it. And I think that's probably one of the things that when you have those moments, you actually are then really grateful for the environment you do get to work in. And I think as a woman who's a leader in a business and the women listening to this podcast, we get the chance to change things. So the one thing is just take a step back. Why are we doing things? Are we doing them for the right reason all the time? Like keep checking back. It helps you to be innovative. It does. Or otherwise you're really relying on the newest person in the organisation with the freshest eyes and the freshest ears to ask you questions about why you do certain things. Oh, but don't you love that? I love that. And we actually always say to new people to our business, we always say, look, your fresh eyes are fantastic. Like use them and don't just go along with because it's the way we've done things. We want to know how to do things better. So we use new eyes in a really proactive way, which I think, yeah, it's good. It's really refreshing. So Kelly, it's fantastic to see that Edible Blooms is now a global business with a presence in Australia, New Zealand and the UK. So congratulations. Thinking back to the beginnings of Edible Blooms in 2005, what inspired the business idea and tell us about being an early pioneer of e-commerce in Australia? Yeah, it's, gosh, it's a long time ago. It's 17 years ago. So I was in my late 20s. And it's a funny thing. I actually always thought I'd have my own business. But back in 2005, you weren't an entrepreneur, you were a business owner. So you were choosing to work for somebody else or you were choosing to be a business owner. I feel that it's been glamorized a little bit. And for me, I've never had that perspective on it because to be honest, it's just really hard <laughs> work a lot of the time. But I was quite deliberate about it, actually. So I'd been working in professional services at one of Australia's biggest legal firms, and I was working in their business development team, writing tenders and competitive bids to win work for the firm. And I really loved it. And I learned so much in the time that I was there. And I had the opportunity to move to Brisbane and consult back to the firm rather than being an employee. So that was kind of my first foray into running my business. But that enabled me to actually only work four days a week in my late 20s. I used that day a week to research other businesses, I actually put an offer in to buy an established business and I was unsuccessful. I was the second runner, very grateful. And I really do believe that things happen for a reason. So when things don't work out, it can be really disappointing, but usually it's because something better is around the corner. I had a book idea at the time. I looked at buying a franchise. That was in the early days when Boost Juice was really popular. I looked at that and I decided that wasn't for me because I felt like I still wouldn't be controlling my own destiny if I was a franchise owner versus an actual business owner. And so when I had the idea of combining two of my favourite things, which is gifting and food, it was literally three months from the time I had the idea. I started making fresh fruit bouquets. Anytime I went to a dinner party, I would say, I'm bringing dessert and I would make an edible bloom fruit arrangement. I tried all sorts of different chocolate to dip the strawberries in before I settled on the chocolate we still use today, which is a Belgian curvature chocolate. And it was three months from the time I had the idea to when I opened the doors. Wow, really? Yeah, it was. And I still wasn't sure when I first opened the business if we were going to be a franchise business or whether we would be an online business. 
2005 was very early days of e-commerce, but I'd been fortunate enough when I was 21, I was in London doing a working holiday. And that was when the e-commerce boom was happening, when clicks were making people millionaires on paper. And I actually worked for Time Out magazine in London in the rollout of their e-commerce platforms. So as a freelancer, I was 21. I was literally just a marketing hack working on some projects. But I sat around, we had a whole floor in our building in London of Arthur Anderson Tech Consultants building this platform. So I was able to see what was happening with e-com. So I'd been fascinated with it for five or six years Things obviously went bust on that segment in between the time I was in London to when I opened Edible Blooms. But I was really interested in online. I really saw convenience and I saw opportunity for businesses to grow with technology. And so when I opened Edible Blooms in 2005, we had a fully functioning web store and I got my first order the morning we opened on a website from someone I didn't know. From that point on, I felt there was something in this internet business And it was a really interesting journey, lots of curves, lots of learnings, lots of mistakes made. But I very quickly saw our online sales growing quickly. I saw the cost of opening stores in lots of locations is really prohibitive to our growth. And so we developed a business model on the fly, which was one production outlet in as many capital cities as we could open as quickly as we could that could distribute around that city. And our web store was our main platform. So like I said, sometimes a door closes, another one opens. I didn't have the budget to open high street stores so I could get lower cost footprints. I could use a website to reach my customers. So my first store was actually near my supply, which was near the fruit market. So our very first Edible Blooms was near the Brisbane fruit markets because I was like, if I can't be near my customers, I'll be near my supplier. And that way I don't have to stock as much stock so I can readily access what I need as orders come in. So that's how it kind of happened. And it was literally opened on a shoestring budget, Edible Blooms. And in that first year, we opened Adelaide, Sydney and Melbourne as well. And back then you couldn't get bank financing. I'd been saving. I was quite responsible with money when I was younger and I'd always had good jobs. So we bootstrapped the whole thing. Fantastic. So that first year was quite wild and I've never worked so hard in my entire life. I bet. I'm really glad I didn't have children because I wouldn't have had time. (laughs) How did you know that the marketplace would have purchased your product? Well, I guess I didn't. I'm a really big believer in gut instinct and yeah, I really trusted what I liked because I looked at it as a consumer. If I would buy it, other people would buy it. And as I said, my first customer was actually someone I didn't know on the first morning I opened the doors. So when I opened the first Edible Bloom store, I mean, it was the 26th of August and I had sent an email. I'd only been living in Brisbane for six months and I had 50 business cards. I remember having this little stack of business cards and I'd been so busy learning about food licensing, setting up a website, getting the premises all set up. I'd forgotten about marketing and that's what I do. Like that's my trade. I'd been so busy filling in. I remember doing this SWOT analysis, you know, the old school business plan. So everything that was a weakness or a threat, I spent all my energies pre-opening sorting that out. So I was like, I need to cover off all these spaces. And then I got to the Sunday night before I was opening, I was like, I haven't told anybody I'm opening tomorrow. I haven't done anything. So the Sunday night before it was due to open, I sat down at my computer and at home And I emailed the 50 people I had business cards of since I'd been in Brisbane. And it was a really dinky email. But back then, people actually did read emails. Do you remember when you used to read emails (laughs) that were, were marketing emails? And so I emailed these 50 people and I said, look, everything this week is half price. 
tries out, share this email with your friends. So literally that first order I got when I got in on Monday morning on my website that I built, which was really dinky, photography that I'd done in my living room with no lighting, it was really bad. It was a guy from Bris who was delivering one of our fruit bouquets to his wife and she worked at Brisbane TAFE because I remember delivering it and he sent it to her just because. And it was just that gorgeous connection of thinking I'm helping two people to have this special. Imagine her reaction. I've never seen anything like this. Her husband said something just because. <laughs> it wasn't Valentine's Day. It wasn't Mother's Day. It wasn't That's any of those fantastic. things. It was just because. And actually, it was probably from that moment that I felt I was onto something special. And that week, we did $1,000 in sales, which I thought was quite good back in 2005 for week one with no marketing budget or word of mouth. And I could see the ripple effect. You could see, oh, I've delivered to Brisbane TAFE. Okay, someone from Brisbane TAFE is now, you know, so it happened in that way. So so you went from 1000 a week to what are you doing now? Well, look, we don't talk about that, but we do about, on a busy day, we'll do at least 1,000 gifts a day. Isn't around, that wonderful? Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually. So I guess when I look at those numbers, I think, look at all the people we're making happy every day. So we really are part of a joy giving business. And that's, I think, one of the reasons that my team like what they do too, because they know that they're making people happy with the work they do each day. So so that in itself is quite fulfilling and I think satisfying for the team. Uh, very much so. And as you say, it, it wouldn't matter what the gift was for, whatever occasion, you can't help but smile when, when you get something that looks so beautiful. You've encompass a lot of partners now that you're putting some of their product into your yeah we do everything from cheese like so we work with Barossa Valley Cheese Company now my um, favorite yes. yeah I know they're amazing <laughs> and look we use products we love and we work with a lot of amazing South Australian businesses like Melba's and the Adelaide Hills Robin Men's we work with nut growers directly now so that the nuts in our packages are literally coming straight from growers into our packages which is really fabulous so there's really and you got donuts yeah we have donuts Little yeah we, baby and we work donuts. with we work with Phillies for those. So we work with lots of iconic Australian brands through our business, which we are really proud of. And I guess that's part of the satisfying thing that we've been able to help some South Australian businesses distribute nationally and get their products out, which is very cool. So, But South Australia is a great hub of food. It really is an incredible hub of amazing food, amazing wine. So it's, yeah, there's a lot of things that I love about our business. Yeah. Well, let's just go on to the challenges that entrepreneurs have from startup capital, uh, managing cash, recruiting employees, and that's never been harder than it is right now. Uh, product design, developing sales and marketing strategy, all of these challenges. I love how you believe that making mistakes is gold. Yes. Uh, as long as you learn from them. So please tell us about one of the greatest mistakes you've made and what did you learn from that experience? <laughs> oh, look, it's where do I start, Donnie? One of the things <laughs> I've loved about having my own business is the ability to have your own dialogue about what it looks like. And so in our Edible Blooms Bible from the word go, we've always said you're allowed to make a mistake to our team. We'd rather them try and, and that's about solving an issue for a customer quickly. So we really wanted to empower our team because we knew if we wanted to grow our business quickly, we couldn't micromanage, we couldn't be as hands-on as we'd like. And so having that ability to say to the team, you can make a mistake, but let's learn from it. We try to create a culture where if you make a mistake, you can share it and you can learn from it with other team members as well. But we do try not to make the same mistake twice. So yes. <laughs> by sharing and learning, and I think that's probably the thing I love making mistakes. I'm a cup half full kind of girl. So one of our mistakes we made a few years ago was sending an EDM out, so an email out to our customer base. And our customer base, I think we've got about a hundred odd thousand people on our email list. And so 
if you make a mistake on that, you're kind of making a mistake in a fairly grand scale. And we have a smaller corporate list. So it was, I think it was around August, September one year, and we were intending to email our corporate base to say, hi, this is what we've got coming up for Christmas. The email went to the entire email list, which is quite a different size list, quite a different audience. But the interesting thing is we actually got a lot of sales from it because we actually had... (laughs) So I actually think that's why I think mistakes can be gold because that email, we we didn't intend for it to go to our whole base. So ever since then, we've actually emailed our corporate offering to our entire email list every year since because, you know, Donna, you might have ordered from us personally, but then you also own BCD So and you connect with lots of other businesses. So by letting you know about what we're doing for corporate gifting and personalization, that word of mouth can pass on. So I guess that's where I say that mistakes are gold. And the other part of that is I have a 90% rule. So I'm not a perfectionist. I'd love to be, but I'm not. But that's how I've been able to move quite quickly. So there's absolutely no way I would have done all the things that I've been able to achieve on the budget that I've achieved it on if I was a perfectionist, because I would have still been back in the Brisbane store trying to get that perfect without opening all of the others. My biggest advice I have for other women, I do think that's probably often a challenge for women is that we do try to be perfect. We try to be the good girl. We try to do all of those things and we don't need to be. And I remember once I said, because my husband started saying, oh, miss 90% because he's quite a perfection. My husband, and he does things very well. He does things better than I do them, but I get probably more of a volume of things done. So we're very different. And I think that's why our marriage works too. But I said, I was doing a talk one day and I said, do you mind if I reference the fact that you call me Miss 90%? And he paused for a minute and he said, oh, I don't have any problems, but I actually think 90% is pretty generous. I think it's about 50. (laughs) He was joking. But a perfectionist would say that. They would say that what I think is 90% is actually their 70%. The other perspective on that is that it takes just as long to do the last 10% as it does to do the first 90. So if you pause too much and you get everything too perfect, you know, you can just... You're wasting a lot of time. A lot of time. And meanwhile, another competitor zoom past you. So I think that agility in today's environment that we work in is just really important. So that's another part of making mistakes. I think it's actually not expecting yourself to be too perfect. So as a past perfectionist, because I had to learn the hard <laughs> way, because you work you work twenty four seven as a perfectionist, yeah, and that ain't that's yeah. not good for you, and it's not good for your team. Yeah, but what I realised was good enough is good enough. Yes, not perfect. Yes, but good enough. Because rough enough is not good enough. No, absolutely. But good enough is good enough. And that was the mantra I had to adopt to. So when I heard you say earlier, I wish I was a perfectionist, no, you don't (laughs) want to be a perfectionist. It's horrible. It is a funny thing. I think, I don't know, I think there's sometimes an expectation to be perfect put on you and you just have to let it go. And that's hard. Mm. It's actually hard to let that go and not want everything to be just right. But, Mm. yeah, if you can, it's quite empowering. Absolutely. So finally, could you share your advice on scaling up a business? Look, for me, scaling up always comes back to systems. You have to have really good systems. So not dissimilar to how I started our conversation where I was talking about communication systems in our business where you take that step back and you say, how can we do this in a really organised way? Because whilst I'm a 90% person, I'm also very organised. I'm a Virgo, so I'm a planner. And all of the projects we're working on at work, I'm already three or four steps ahead of where we need to be next in my mind. But you have to have systems to be able to scale your business. Scaling means different things to different businesses. 
And if you're on a technology type business, the scaling's a lot easier than if you're in a product business. So mine combines a little bit of both. So I've got to be able to scale product and processes where we're producing products. And then at the other side, I've got a technology platform that can just scale to the cows go home. So it's making sure they're both working together. So it's really about reflecting what are the systems that help propel you forward, that stop you limiting your growth. And it's actually just every business is different. So you just got to take that step back and pause and look at that and involve your team in that process setting because they're not better than you do often. So that's where the meeting of having people around the table is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Kelly Jamison, you are so inspiring. No wonder you're so successful. You're a wonderful woman. I love having you in my life. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Oh, likewise, Donnie. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Women on the Move, the Behind Closed Doors podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. To find out more about Behind Closed Doors, visit www.behindcloseddoors.com where you can find the full range of membership options. Women on the Move was recorded on Ghana lands and is a narrative network audio production.